Today on the Talent Cast, we reveal the truth. Yes, it's not just you who hates your ATS and all your HR and all your talent tech. It's not just you. Here we go. Howdy. Welcome to The Talent Cast, where we talk about the new world of talent acquisition and recruitment marketing. I, am always, am your host, James Ellis. Uh, I was bitten by a radioactive recruiter once and discovered I had strange new powers, and thus, we are here. This podcast is not sponsored or supported by anyone whatsoever. We've instituted a 100% no-pitching rule. We're here to learn, teach, and discuss so we can all become better recruitment marketing thinkers. I'm not here to sell you anything. If you like this podcast, and I really hope you do, tell the world on LinkedIn and Twitter and any other place you're professionally social. I'm pretty sure your friends don't care. Uh, You can always review us on iTunes or Google Play. We really appreciate that. Uh, As always, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, if you would like me to discuss uh, your particular problem, if you know someone I should interview, reach out to me on the Twitter. It's The War for Talent. That's right, The War for Talent. Or just go to our website. We're at thetalentcast.com, thetalentcast.com. Otherwise, here we go. Hope you enjoy. Hey, James Ellis here. How you doing? Good morning, good afternoon. Recording from you live from the bunker. Coffee is percolating, done, ready to go, as am I, I guess you could say. Um, haven't sipped the coffee yet, so I'm still warming up here. I uh, hope everybody's having a great week. Um, they're start about to have a great week. It's a Monday probably if you're listening to this. Um, so I want to talk about talent tech. And I mean, and I want to start with a quick definition. I want to start with a quick sense of what do I mean by talent tech? It's very easy for, I wanted to start by calling this HR tech, but I realized there's so much other tech involved with HR that I have zero uh, understanding of information on, and it would be incredibly rude and or irresponsible of me to have some sort of opinion on, uh, so I won't. So I'm going to focus on talent tech. So if I say HR tech, I mean talent tech. I might be slipping because that HR HR tech just is a thing. Uh, This has nothing to do with the conference HR tech. This has nothing to do with anything like that. This is about the technology that has come across in the last 20 years, sometimes in the last 20 seconds, that is designed to help us do our jobs. It's designed to help us attract, engage, and compel candidates, prospects, whatever you want to call them, to come to our job site, to look at our jobs, to apply for our jobs, and also to go through the process of filtering and winnowing those applicants out so you decide on on what to do, Um, including metrics, including post work, and all of it, everything that involved in the talent recruitment, the talent selection, and yeah, maybe not maintenance, uh, but all the talent stuff, it's, it's, this is what we're talking about. This is the talent stuff. And the truth is, I, I, you, you, know, <laughs> you know, in a former life, you couldn't go an, a day without someone complaining bitterly about the technology surrounding them, whether it was their ATS, or, and, and I've lovingly joked about them, and I know that there are reasons why they stick around, but I can still tease them and still make fun of them for being 20-year-old technology, or at least feel and look like 20-year-old technology, um, you know, and, and everything from the ATSs to tools that let your employees give you access to their Facebook so that you can publish to their friends on your behalf, on their behalf, um, everything like that, anything that involves talent. And it, you know, it's, it's stuff that's specific to talent, you know, like an ATS or like metrics or like path to conversion or all that, you know, stuff like that. Or it's stuff that's more broadly, 
talent focused. So even Facebook, Facebook is not in any way, shape or form talent focused, but certainly we use it a lot for talent. So let's go ahead and lump that in here to the group of why talent tech kind of not good words. Um, that yeah, the coffee's still too hot. Can't drink it yet. So I was having a good conversation with somebody and, you know, I realized, um, I realized one of the issues is, so like, so we're going to take a quick step back and I apologize. I feel like I'm rambling and get, get my, my feet under me in this conversation. As you know, there's no outline. Um, so I want to take a quick trip back, not from the HR talent space, but for just the general computing space. And so I want everybody to remember the golden days that were, um, early email, whether that was the late nineties. And even for some people, it was the early 2000s, 2000 aughts. Um, when email arrived, um, you know, and whether you had Outlook, the standard, or you had a web client like Hotmail and eventually Gmail or Yahoo, uh, whether you had a desktop client, which was literally a piece of software that embedded on your software like Outlook or Pegasus Mail, that was my go-to for a long time. It was free. Um, Zmail, I, I know, is out there. Um, lots of different clients. Lotus Notes, uh, Lotus CC Mail, rather. Um, lots of different email clients. Uh, I remember rolling them out. I remember being in the tech space, helping companies figure out how to roll them out to their companies and get people trained on how to use an email and what the difference between a CC and a BCC is. For those of you who don't know, it's carbon copy and blind carbon copy. Things that have to do with carbon, which has to do with typing, which has nothing to do with anything about email. So it's about as anachronistic as that little blue um, square that means save. For those of you who are nearly as old as I am, you know that's a floppy. I also want to add one more to the mix. I'm coining it myself. Airplane mode. There will soon be a day in which the generations who fly don't realize that once you had to turn off your phones for takeoff and landing and frankly for most of the trip. Uh, what What is airplane mode? Why is airplane special? It just isn't. Um, so there's there's their anachronistic stuff, but whatever. Um, but learning how to use email, learning how to use these programs, and it wasn't, you know, it had two functions. It had the, how do you do work? How do you type stuff and get information? But there was also a social element to it. How do you understand the etiquette of conversing with people and your boss and your underlings and your uh, peers and, the, you know, anybody who's ever had to send an email to their CEO has read it seven times and made sure 100% that it was exactly as clear as it needed, as it could possibly be. Um, all that stuff had to be invented. All that stuff came from nothing. Um, you know, even in the world of memos, it was once a time when not everybody could write a memo and you couldn't send messages to staff like that. Now, every company has some sort of all staff email list that everybody can that probably has access to, probably. So if you're in a 50,000 person company, it probably won't take you more than about three or four minutes to figure out how to send 50,000 emails. Hopefully they don't have their autoresponders on and you take down the server, but that's just the, you know, how email works. Everybody had to figure it out and it was brand new. Now, early email was rough, to be fair. Um, just like all early enterprise software, they were rough. They were designed by developers, um, coders who had a sense of how things worked, how a sense of how things should be, and they forced the rest of us to think it through that way. So, um, you know, I'm remembering things like on my Pegasus Mail client, if I hit Shift Enter, it would automatically send the email. And it was very easy given that Shift and Enter are effectively next to each other. Very easy for me to fat finger that um, and accidentally auto send the email or send the email before I was even done sending it. But for them, it was a keystroke. It was a shortcut. It was smart and fast and efficient for them. And for the rest of us, we went, well, this just sucks. Let's keep sending email I don't want to send. It's, it's hey, Bob, I just wanted to be gone. Um, you know, that's rough. So um, 
you know that that kind of that, that kind of tool set was designed by a design or a developer and handed to us. And honestly, it wasn't sold to us. At no point was the company asked, "Hey, what kind of email client do you want? Here, here's here's your three options. Why don't we pick? They're all effectively the same price. Let's make some choices." No one made that call. No one asked you for that. Someone in the IT team said, "Well, we're moving to email. This is the solution." And that solution had a lot of um, things behind it. So, for example, if they started, you know, email. For let's be fair, Microsoft makes all the money on Office and uh, and 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 Office and Windows, and has for a very 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 long time. Still does. In fact, it makes more money now than it did in its heyday when it was getting sued. If you didn't know that, it's crazy. Um, but what happened was, is if you're in a, com- a company and you are working with Microsoft, you have to buy a server for all that email, for all that Outlook, and that effectively means you have to hire a person who manages that server 24 um, seven. And if you're gonna go ahead and do that, you might as well go ahead and put all your other stuff in Microsoft, and that was kind of the Microsoft gig. They would get their toehold in you with, you know, everybody needs Windows and everybody needs Office, and we'll, why we're here, we'll give you a break on the Outlook software and the Outlook Exchange server software. Like, but you need to buy a server and you need to hire a guy, and now that you're here, now let's talk about active server pages. Now let's talk about, now. And they would just kind of add on and add on, and that was how Microsoft did it. Nothing wrong with that. That's just how they did it. But that's the reason why if you're a company that uses Outlook and you look around, you'll see that everything else you use is probably a Microsoft product. And that was true up until about four or five years ago maybe. Um, Now it's a little less true, but um, it's pretty true. No one said, you know, um, June from, from HR didn't say, here's my favorite email client. I'd like to start using this because email was structured by the enterprise. It was determined by the enterprise and had to be security issues. And of course, you know, they wouldn't let you, remember the days when they wouldn't let you bring your own devices? That changed five, six years ago. Um, thank you, iPhone. Uh, you know, I used to have a, a gentleman who made a joke about in pharma, the only way to bring a Mac into a pharma company was with a shotgun next to it because there's no way anyone would ever use it. But then the iPhone came up and suddenly everybody brought their iPad and iPhone and everybody suddenly needed an Apple and a Mac. Uh, that's how they changed the world. Bringing your own devices was crazy. You had to use the office's computers. The office shows what computers, whether you used IBMs or whether you used Dells or Compaqs or any number of IBM type clones. And that's all what they were. They were all IBM clones uh, or PCs, I guess you can call them too. You didn't have any call in that. You didn't have any choice in the matter. You showed up. You got a desk. You got a computer. Here's your email client. We already made your email address for you. And so for jerks like me, whose initial first initial last name spells jealous, it kills me. Um, there's irony there somewhere. Uh, you know, you had no choice. That was just the way of the world. Now, fast forward to not too long ago. It's been a very, very, very near past. So this was literally two years ago when we did this. Um, so I took over a team. We had some communication issues. I, you know, my office and where they were were not exactly next to each other. I had, didn't have, I didn't have a line of sight. Not that I wanted to keep an eye on them, but so much as I wanted them to see that I was around, to know when I was available to walk in and ask me a question or ask for help or whatever they wanted. Um, and you know, and also to get the, you know, people who who have direct reports. You, you get, you understand. You get that sense of something's going on. Something, there's some chitter chatter happening. I need to be aware of it. Just kind of keep an eye on what's going on. And I said, you know, the the, the, son, the company was using a, was a Microsoft company, so they were using Microsoft tools. So they used Link L Y N C, which is Microsoft's, um, you know, their their IM client to do that. And I didn't care for it. It's okay, but it's again designed by developers, forced on everybody to be used. There's no real incentive to make it better. It's just it's, it has to be good enough and has to not crash, and that's okay. And it lacked a lot of features, and it was really wonky and clunky, and the iPhone client for it was a pain, and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, gosh, I have a team now. Why don't we just use Slack? 
Now, for those of you who don't know, Slack is a um, an IM client, but it's a beefed up IM client. It's designed to do a lot more than just IM, but it's a slick client. I think more than anything else, someone once called it consumer-grade software, meaning it's the kind of software that someone didn't have to push on you because IT said you have to use this. This is the kind of software you would go, ooh, I want to use this. And in fact, that's what I did. I said, ooh, I want to use this with my team. I had to encourage my team for a couple of weeks to get them used to it to understand why this was important and useful and all the cool little tricks tips and tricks it could do and then they fell in love with it like I did and, and suddenly we're all on Slack and then two years later it was the lifeblood of the team. It was the way we communicated. Um, no one in IT ever knew that I did that. No one in the company had any idea because it was cloud-based. I, I could use it on my phone. I could use it on their phone. I could use it on my computer here. I could use it on my computer there. It did not, you know, Sam I am. I will, I will use that software anywhere. Um, I have a two-year-old. What? I'm reading Sam I am a lot. This is Cat in the Hat. Cat in the Hat and Sam I am. Green eggs and ham. This is where I am. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry for the puns. Um, I chose that software. I made the choice. And I didn't have to get anyone's approval. I could use it as a pure web client. I could download little web clients because these days most people have access to download software to their computers unless you're at particular companies and particular industries. I understand that. But you could still use the web client. It was no big deal. And we were able to, to, to use that software. Now, Slack at any point in time could have realized, wow, there's... 25 people at this company using our product. Let's go in and tell the IT company and let's, let's see what other teams are using it. It turns out there were at least three or four other teams using the software as well in their own little pockets of the world, not connected to my pocket or not to connect to my network. And so Slack can go into the team and, and, and to IT and say, hey, do you know 37% of your company is using our product already? And IT goes, uh, and they goes, this is an easy install. Everybody's using it already. This is an easy flip and switch. Let's just go do it. That's a very different model from saying, hey, you already bought our email package. Let's go ahead and throw this other package on and let's find out and let's hire staff and here's a consulting company that's going to work for you and you know, IT foisting it onto people. People were now choosing to buy the software. Now, why the heck did I tell you a long, cumbersome story about email and Slack? No one chose your ATS. I mean, it feels like that. I mean, it feels like the person who actually made the call to say, that's the ATS. I'm going with Taleo over iSIMS or vice versa. It doesn't really matter. This isn't about, you know, brand names here. Um, that person, that decision was made so long ago, that person is no longer in the HR talent acquisition team or even with the company necessarily. These are just choices that got made, maybe for a financial reason, maybe for an incentive reason, maybe for a feature reason that they thought they needed that is no longer true 5, 10, 15 years later. Um, but... The choice is there and everything in your talent space is connected to your ATS. Anything that is not connected to your ATS is siloed out and effectively bad. <laughs> not going to work very well. My biggest criticism with Facebook jobs was that not that it didn't work very well, it kind of worked okay. And it's a great first step, but it has no integration with your ATS, which means everything you've been doing as an HR talent acquisition person for the last uh, 20 years is, is, is worthless now because you've got non-ATS integration issues. You got to be integrate. You either say we're integrating everything with the ATS, or we're completely decentralized and we're okay with that too. There's no middle ground. So why do I bring that up? Is because the truth is the person who made the call is like that person who, at IT who said we chose Microsoft over whatever the Microsoft competitor of the day was, and frankly they all seem to have gone away, except for Google. Um, you know, those, those choices were made and, and you've built systems around it. You know, now that you have that particular ATS, that means you can definitely use these metrics programs, but not those metrics programs. It means you can use these providers, but not those providers. It, the choice of an ATS determines so much of the rest of your ecosystem, right? 
And that choice was made a long time ago by somebody who it's, and it's not in the same context, and it's a very slow change to make. If you wanted to, if you said today, "I'm changing my ITS," I'll see you in two years when that change actually happens, because that's how long it takes. You know, aside from procure, procurement and, and choosing and paying and figuring out the solutions, the integrations, the applications, the rollouts, the trainings, it takes forever, and thus most people don't bother. That's not exactly software. You go, that's great software. No one says that's great software about software. They're not allowed to leave. It's expensive to leave, and they have to use any way that someone else chose for them. That's not a good incentive, right? If, if, you, if you were using, here, look at Snapchat. You could leave Snapchat today as Instagram shows up and, and brought stories out, which was effectively, hey, we like Snapchat so much we made our own. Um, it's very easy to stop using Snapchat and start using Instagram stories. I mean, there's literally zero cost to you, right? Changing your ATS has huge costs. It's a very different model. And so in a space where there are huge or there are no switching costs, you are incentivized to make the best possible software program possible to truly understand your audience. And that's really what it's about. And now in an ATS world, there's no incentive for them to I – mean, let's be fair. There's no incentive, roughly, for any of the major ATSs to really invest in deep development, to, the, to upset the Apple card. Yes, they could develop mobile apply. Yes, they could develop deep metric integration. Why? Who cares? You don't care. You're doing fine. You're not leaving because the other guys aren't doing it. There's no really incentive for you to leave, so there's no incentive for them to spend the time, resources, energy to do it. That's why ATSs are relatively slow to change, among many other things. But really, that's they're, they're not the most agile software. I don't think I'm being mean. I think that's pretty true. They're just not very agile. Excuse me, coffee. Yeah. So that's part of why talent tech sucks is because ATSs, are not incentivized to change, to change with the times. Um, you know, I'm looking at software where, I mean, even the simplest thing like a LinkedIn integration where an applicant says, yes, I'd like to apply using LinkedIn, and I click the button that says, I want to use LinkedIn. You know that doesn't work half the time? Even on a modern browser, on a modern computer, there's still a million glitches that happen. That doesn't happen other places. That doesn't happen in other software packages. The Instagram showed up because it was able to piggyback off a of Twitter integration. It could say, hey, I'm going to find out who all your Twitter friends are and I'll show you where their Instagram accounts are so you could find good networks. That was seamless. That was smooth. That was 10 years or that was eight years ago. That was a long time. Maybe not eight. Maybe it was five. Um, ATSs still can't figure out how to integrate with LinkedIn? Come on. Come on. You know, it's not even like we're trying to integrate with Snapchat or, you know, anything super new. LinkedIn is old. <laughs> it's a Microsoft product now. It's got a pretty straightforward API. Um, there's no incentive. They know that the people who use the software will kick the tires and beat it up and, and eventually just go, fine, I'll type it in or fine, I'll upload my resume or fine, I'll use a whatever. They know that they will get around it. They think there's enough bait in the job to say, I don't have to really worry about it. They'll figure it out. I mean, I used to joke that, you know, when I was talking to companies like Target and Amazon, I said, look, in reality, you don't need a job site. You could almost hide your jobs and people still find ways to apply. You're Amazon and Target. 
<laughs> I mean, everybody wants to work for you. Everybody in Minnesota, you know, a good chunk of the Minnesotans want to work for Target and would actively campaign to make that happen. And if you ask them to do a, the Watusi on the way to the interview, and that's a job requirement, the streets of the Nicolette Avenue Mall is filled with people doing the shimmy. It's going to be crazy. Amazon's the same way. There are people who just absolutely want to work for Amazon, and they will do what it takes. They will figure it out. They won't care what the hurdles are. And if your audience effectively are... and. <laughs> It's almost like a drug dealer model, you know? No drug user complains that says, this cap is very hard to get off. They don't say, this branding is hard to read. They don't say, this is this Coke is not easy to use, and I don't have a lot of experience, so please excuse me if I sound like somebody's granddad. Um, but no one complains about that because they know inside is the Coke or the pot or the whatever, they, whatever the thing they want is inside, and they're going to get at it. Um, and that's fine. And they'll come back to the same person who sold it to them because if it was good. It's not about whether it was easy to use or the user experience was great. Not to say that canned experience isn't important, but let's be fair. If the bait is good enough, the canned experience isn't as important. The problem, of course, occurs when the canned experience is atrocious and everybody's canned experience is atrocious and the bait is weird. And here lies kind of the problem with talent tech, and that is the bait's really weird. I mean, think about it. Think about it. We we say we think about all the money and time and effort that you and me and all of our compatriots and friends and coworkers and given companies and these kinds of jobs spend trying to get people to apply for a job. A lot of time, money, energy, love, passion to get people to just hit apply, right? And then what do we do? We say ninety nine percent suck and throw them away. I mean, just what? Really? How, uh, what? <laughs> I mean, how does that work? How does, you know, from a user base, you know, imagine um, you're selling a car and 10 people show up to buy your car and nine of them, you say, I don't want you. I want, you know, I, you have, a, you have, you know, we only have the one car. It's like, well, those people aren't going to go away happy. They're not going to feel like, oh, that was a good user experience. They have a good employer brand. I feel good about this process. They're going to be pissed because they wanted to buy a car and they agreed to a price and they did what you asked them to. And they showed up and they had the cash in hand and then you said no to them and they don't understand why. Now in house hunting, that's normal. Used car buying, normal. Job seeking, normal. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. This is what, you know, when people talk about disruption, this is what people are talking about, by the way. It's this sense that just because this is the way we've always done it doesn't mean this is the way it has to be. And I, we can quibble about the actual definition of disruption in, in a later show because I don't think this is for this. But really, how do you get, how, <laughs> how do you maintain any kind of candidate brand when you're telling 99% of the people you have spent money and energy to attract to go away? How does that make any sense at all? Other than it's the only way we can figure it out. There's no other better solution that we know of. Other than attract the biggest possible audience, you give them enough information that you hope they self-select out, and you pick the best one from it. And hope that those people apply for enough jobs and eventually they'll be employed and the economy gets to keep going. It It's really messy. That's a crazy solution. And yet, again, what's the joke about democracy? It's the worst type of government except for all the others. Well, this is the worst way of bringing talent in except for all the others because we can't think of anything better. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't. It doesn't mean that that kind of structure doesn't make the talent tech that supports it weird. I mean, you know, we we try and take our, our lessons from consumers, from consumer marketing, right? We say, oh, Taco Bell's doing something cool on Facebook. 
Hmm, two years later. We should do some cool stuff on Facebook. Oh, wow, they're using mobile. Everybody's on mobile. We should get on a mobile two years later. Hey, we've finally decided to launch a mobile client. Um, we've finally gotten a responsive design. We've finally got a mobile apply. Um, you know, you know, the fact that people are still talking about mobile and the iPhone has been around for 10 years, really? What are you waiting for? What are you, what are you waiting for, really? What, what could you be waiting for? Um, you know, that's the thing is that we look to the consumer model and say, we'll just follow along with them. And that's great when it comes to marketing tactics, so long as we agree that we are different. Recruitment marketing and consumer marketing are fundamentally different. I think I've talked about this before. It's a quality versus quantity. If you are, if your job is to sell tacos and anybody with a dollar can buy a taco and you sell a million tacos, congratulations, you're a great marketer. You've done a great job and there's a bonus coming your way. If you are there to sell a job and there's one job and only certain types of people will fit the criteria for that job and you only need to attract certain people for that job and a million people apply for that job, you're getting fired, right? You didn't need a million people. You needed three or four or five. Maybe. You really only needed one, but you needed at least two to compare and at least three to be safe in case someone says no. Um, but that's it. You don't need a million applicants. You have a thing called fit. And when you're a guy selling a taco or a girl selling a taco and the only, per, the only requirement is you have to have a dollar, those fits aren't really a concern, right? Very few people don't have a dollar um, you know, around somewhere. And there you go. That's the problem, and that's a difference between consumer and recruitment. The other side is that we sell one thing at a time. We do not sell a million jobs. We might have a thousand jobs in our ATS, but that doesn't mean a thousand applicants get matched to a thousand jobs. There's not a thousand of the same job. You're not going to take the top thousand people for those jobs and grab them. You're going to apply your logic and your thinking, your process to each one of those people individually. And that doesn't really happen anywhere else, except maybe house hunting, maybe sorta, kinda, where. Um, Whatever that's a that's that's a side sidebar, um, that it. But it's a it, it seems silly and, and and to you and me it's natural. It's like yeah, well that's how how would, how we do that. How else would we do it? But to the consumer market, that is crazy town, crazy pants. They don't understand that at all. They don't they can't conceive of that kind of model. That's not how they work. Um, the concept that they would turn down a customer because they weren't what they expected. No, so long as they got the money. Good. Take the take the money. That's how it works. Um, you know, very, 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 very few, and I would say exceptional salespeople know how to turn down an offer because in the end, it's not going to be a good fit for them, and long term, it's going to suck. But in the end, you generally just take the money and you figure it out later. We don't do that with talent. We have a very different model, and so just appropriating the consumer marketing technology and saying that we're just going to use it without understanding and embracing and uh, that constraint is asking for pain. So, you know, there's the issue. So maybe our, the issue with, you know, and then, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the issue with tech is that one, it's too centralized for its own good. And I think that's starting to change. I mean, you look at Slack, you look at, um, you know, you look at the ubiquitousness of the iPhone, and I don't mean everyone has it in their pocket. I mean the number of hours and minutes we have our fingers, our grubby little dirty fingers and our eyeballs on that thing is insane. It is insane. This is, it, to be fair, this again, no, I didn't mean this to be a whole series of drug references. This is the, the coke and crack of our generation. This is the thing we are obsessed with right? Every one of us. We have to remind ourselves to turn it off at night or to turn, flip the phone over when we're eating dinner with our family. Um, you know, there was 20 years ago when the call came through from a telemarketer in the middle of dinner, we were irate and we made laws that said we couldn't do that. Most of us have to be reminded not to look and stare at our phones at the same time, right? 
the phone is magnetic and the mobile technology is magnetic and its distributed nature is unbelievably powerful, right? You don't need massive software. You don't need massive servers in your office to manage these things anymore. The days of I needed to hire a guy, and it was always a guy, sorry, um, to manage my email, Microsoft email server because it was located in the basement. And by the way, it was in a room I had to keep radically cold, so I had to hire and build weird floors that were elevated, had little holes through them, circulate cold air through so the server never got too hot and overheated. And I, by the way, had to you know expand my air conditioner unit, and that's a chunk of real estate in my office I could have used for, I don't know, closets and offices or whatever. But I had to do that, and that went away. Take all your servers and throw them in, in the cloud. Throw them on at anywhere, you know. And, and despite Amazon's little hiccup the other day, they make it really easy for you to just say, "Look, take all my email storage, um, whatever you want. You just you guys manage it remotely, so I can hit it whenever I want. Um, you don't need server rooms, you know, rooms full of servers. You don't need rooms full of hardware." It's getting decentralized, not just by the cloud, but by the fact that you can access that from anywhere. So why don't we have a world in which recruiters and recruitment marketers have access to ATS information, not in a, I mean, just look at, look at your reports that you get now. I mean, they just look so creaky. Compare them to anything, and I'm not, again, not pitching, and I'm not getting paid for these people, anything Tableau makes or anything Adobe makes, anything like that where you're building, building a chart where it's gorgeous and glorious and streamlined and smooth. Even Google's pretty good at it. I mean, Google Analytics charts are kind of crazy sometimes, and I think they shoehorn too much information in a given screen. But in the end, they're smooth, they're fast, they're responsive, they're clear generally. Compare that to the, you know, are you getting like screen cra screen grabs of of charts without much information? Can you touch them? Can you click on them and go into them and learn more about them? If it says that 25% of your applicants are from Ohio, can you click on it and see where in Ohio and what degrees they have and what jobs they applied for and how much experience they have? Can you do deep dives? And if not, why not? You know, and that's just metrics. That's just a piece of it. And why don't you take those metrics and turn it into something where the recruiter is getting alerts that say, hey, I'm proactively telling you these jobs are getting too much love and this job over here is not getting enough. You have to do something. Or setting expectations that these jobs need at least 20 applicants before you can even consider them, if you even consider looking at them and these need 50 or whatever. Um, you know, there's a lot more information around the, the tech, but again, it's all so shoehorned and structuralized and centralized in that server room and that ATS and all the things that connect to the ATS that we're not going to be able to break out of it. Now, the future will involve an ATS. I'm just assuming it's not going to be an ATS that you and I right now are familiar with. It's not going to be the, the white screen with a series of, of black... Um, excuse me, a black fields for the user and a million little clicks. I mean, honestly, I've seen at least four ATS backends and they all look like um, crazy people have designed them. They're not, there's no sense of workflow. And in any given screen, you can do 27,000 things and you're like, yes, but 26,990 of them happen once every blue moon. Five or 10 of them I do every time. Why are they hidden over here? Why are they mixed in like those things aren't the things I'm touching every day? It's like make, putting your Cuisinart in front of your toaster if you use your toaster every day and your Cuisinart every, once every blue moon. Don't you want to switch that around? Put the toaster up front where it's easy to get to. And that kind of design thinking is not something design, developers are good at. They're great at many things, but designing and user experience and, and user interfaces are not always one of them. 
you know, making that information easy to move around, making that information parsable, breakdownable, structurable, connected and integrated with anything else that wants to access it. What if in a year when you're all on Slack, because let's be fair, it's a nice little client and huge swaths of people will be there and there's deeply integrated, you can just use your Slack chat, uh, chat to say, um, what's the status on this job number? And it pops out all the, the, the data about the job, like in two seconds, not in about 20 minutes, or you have to ask and you have to go log in and make a thing happen and, and, and structure a query. You just ask about job rec 44121, bam, there it is, here's your data. You have 31 applicants, last one was 20 minutes ago, it's being promoted on, posted on these boards, it's getting clicks from these places, here, that's the basics, so you know what's going on. That kind of integration is where HR tech needs to be, and the problem is it can't because one, it's shoehorned and hampered, not shoehorned, uh, uh, it's ham hamstrung by the ATS and the old way of thinking. It's also hamstrung by how we treat our customers. You know, let's, let's take one more quick spin on this one. When we talk about how you, you know, I chose Slack and my, my team did not have any choice in Slack, but what I had to do was show them how cool it was and they all kind of eventually agreed that it was cool. If Slack was kind of wonky and rough and not smooth and not slick, that adoption never would have happened. There wasn't enough bait to get them in to encourage them. I, I wasn't gonna fire them because they wouldn't use my tool. That'd be crazy. And they knew that. I, I had to get them to want to use that. Let's talk about your candidates. You think they want to use your tools in any way, shape, or form? You don't even want to use your tools. You hate your tools. You complain bitterly about your tools. What do you think they think? What do you think they say about you? What do you think they say when they go, oh, I have to find a job, and I have to go do that process where I go through and type in my... So you know what doesn't even connect to LinkedIn half the time? What a pain in the ass. And that's the problem. Who's the customer? Who's the ATS customer? When it comes right down to it, who's cutting the check? Somebody in IT or HR and procurement, they make the choice, not you. You love to make the choice, but I bet you bet you can guess who really wants to make the choice, and that's the, the prospect. They really want you to use one over the other because it's just easier to use. Now, I'm not gonna give a, a promotion because I don't think there's one that's amazing out there. I think there are some that are getting better and are moving in that direction, but the problem is the candidate is not a user. A candidate is a product. That's something being sold. That's that's that they're not considered when you're buying and selling or buying this HR tech. You don't worry about what the candidate thinks generally. You worried about what your internal thinks people thinks sometimes, and you worry about what your procurement procurement people think all the time. They're the ones making the choice. They're just very few. I I can't think of any HR software packages of any size in which the candidate comes first. Very 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 few. I think the shift, however, is that's going to change. It's going to be candidate focused. If you're, if we're dealing with a world in which the war for talent isn't just my Twitter handle, but is in fact a thing we worry about and think about and talk about and complain about, that the demand for talent gets up and up and up, you can't be in a place where your ATS keeps you from doing anything interesting or useful or valuable. Or your ATS or your process and your system is geared towards you and not your, your customer, your real customer, your prospect. Who your prospect is and what your prospect wants has to be first and foremost in your mind. And that doesn't mean going finding them on Facebook and begging them to come to an arcane system that you have to use because somebody who's now, I don't know, maybe dead, uh, bought a million years ago and you're kind of stuck with and saddled with. That's not prospect first. That's not customer first. That's uh, hoping for the best. And there will come a time in the very, 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 very near future, I have to imagine, because if you look at like a product hunt, the tools coming out to enable candidates 
to have a say in this process, they're coming out more and more. The integrations are much more clear. The opportunities are much more open. Um, you can do anything. The, the trick is HR has to kind of say, you know what, we, have, we can't wait for marketing to take the lead on this and just follow their lead. We have to make this choice because this is an HR or talent acquisition piece of software. No one else is going to tell us what to do. We have to choose the prospect first. And I'm going to tell you right now, on the record, recorded for all eternity, sure, what the heck, the company that figures out how to be candidate first, first wins. Simple as that. You want the best talent? Be candidate focused, truly candidate focused, not workaround focused, not, oh, by the way, here's a set of instructions, not eight point type at the bottom of the ATS application process. Here, here's a litmus test for you. This is my favorite, and this is an ATS's, but this is true all the web. Any process in which you ask someone to give you a password that is more complicated than the one their bank gives, asks for, Meaning, it has to be at least eight characters. Or it has to be, you know my PIN number's four numbers? Simple as that. My PIN number on my bank card is four digits. Four numbers. There's literally one in, what, 10,000 options? That's it. It's not like password it has to be eight characters and it has to use a, a capital and it has to use a number and it has to use a special character. But those special characters, you can't use uh, more than two in a row and it can't be a password. You've, you've, da, 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 da. My bank criteria for passwords is not that complicated. I'm, chances are, if I'm applying here, I never want to come back. The ATS is a hurdle I have to jump through, and you've made it harder. You've made it bigger. You've made it worse. I had a, fr a friend of mine joked, um, what percentage of your time doing taxes is trying to remember your passwords to your old password, all, all your, um, um, both your tax software accounts and then your um, uh, HR accounts you know, for payrolls and stuff? That's the problem. The passwords are the problem. That, but that's a litmus test. Software that says enter a password, pick a password you, or, that you want, and you type something in, and then they give you the rules. Oh, by the way, did we not tell you it needs to be air characters? Did we not tell you that you can't use an exclamation point, but you can use an asterisk? Did we not tell you it had to inquire uh, a number and a capital letter, but also a lower care, but not the. And it, did we not tell you that? No, no, you didn't. That is not customer focused. That is, that is internal focused, and that is wrong. That's the problem. So you want to go evaluate the next you know, stage of, of software for, to attract and compel talent to engage with you, to apply with you, to make the bait better? Go look at their passwords. Go look at how they ask for a password. Frankly, any information I have on my application is on a resume and it's on LinkedIn, meaning it's publicly available. Aside from a salary range, which most people aren't going to give, what else there is, is so mission critical, is so, is so um, scary uh, private that you can't have? It's on LinkedIn. My resume's floating on a million places. Yours is too. That's not, oh, that's not private. You know, this isn't a bank. I'm not going to move money from one place to the other. You're not going to change my IRS, IRA. You're, this is an application. This is an ATS I have to use once, apply, and get the heck out and wait for a call from a recruiter. And yet you're designing it like I'm going to live there. That's crazy. So... Is there hope for tech talent or talent tech? Yeah. It just seems a long way off right now, and that's why. It's because it's not user-focused. It doesn't understand who its users are. It's you know constrained to old-world thinking where it's centralized around a server somewhere. Um, even if it's a cloud, it's still set overly centralized. It doesn't change very much. Um, the users only use you once every blue moon, so there's no incentive to change. Um, and there's not enough competition who cares enough to, to worry about this stuff. That's the problem. 
that's changing. I think the ATSs have finally started to realize, and I th- think they're starting to ramp up and get better. I think there's enough competition. These newcomers um, who are ATS lights or ATS pluses who are trying new things and are trying to realize that, hey, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, the, everything in the kitchen sink of software. Sometimes it can just be a very simple CRM that people can upload information to and resumes to and then have a very simple workflow behind. Um, you know, most ATSs are designed for a Procter & Gamble, IBM, uh, uh, Merrill Lynch level size process of applications. And if your company is a thousand people or a hundred people, you don't need all that. That's way too much workflow. That's way too much technology. That's way too much stuff for you. You know, you don't need that, but you're forced to use it because the software just comes with it and you are forced to use it. So that's my issue. And that's what I think the fix is. It's about starting with the ATS and making it a little more decentralized and making it more integrated, a little more accessible to everyone and to be a little more customer focused. And when I mean customer, I don't mean you, I mean your prospects. That's all the time I got today. Uh, thanks for listening in. If you want to complain uh, bitterly or ple- pleasantly or funnily, I don't care, or you just want to chat or you just want to suggest ideas, I'm on the Twitter, uh, at the War for Talent. That's at the War for Talent. Um, or you can find our website. It's thetalentcast.com. Um, we got two reviews on iTunes. I'm stunned. They're both five stars. Wow. Thank you. Um, if anyone wants to throw another one on there, I think we actually get a, a general average, which would be super cool. Um, thanks to you for review, for for reviewing us, and I, and I encourage you to do that the same. And as well, share share with your um, you know your talent friends. Let them know that we're here. And if you like us, let us know. Otherwise, I will see you next week. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you. Later. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.